Streets, places, and other things get renamed, and that's okay. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. There's been a lot of talk in the news lately about renaming Lakeshore Drive to something honoring Jean-Baptiste Pointe du Sable, the Haitian-born trader considered the founder of Chicago. Of course, this has Chicagoans up in arms without getting into the arguments on both sides, other than to say, unless your ancestors were Phil and Harriet Lakeshore Drive, maybe take it down a notch. Here is some history on the streets and places of Chicago that have been renamed. For reference, the year 1909 brought about sweeping changes to the names and numbers of hundreds of streets and addresses in order to make them easier to navigate. As Chicago works on a grid system, having street names change every few blocks, even when a traveler hadn't made any turns, was proving to be problematic. If you live in Chicago, the street you live on may have been called something else at some point. In 1913, Chicago City Council named the West Side's 40th Street after Peter Crawford, an early area pioneer. In 1933, in an effort to strengthen his ties with the large voting Polish community, I mean to honor the American Revolutionary War hero Casimir Pulaski, Mayor Edward Kelly proposed renaming Crawford Avenue to Pulaski Road. Chicagoans weren't having it. Business owners complained of the cost to rename signs and paper forms and everything else that had the Crawford name on it. Pulaski supporters claimed the objections were largely being made to cover up anti-Polish prejudice. Hmm. A temporary injunction was put in place to hold up the change, but in April of 1935, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld Chicago's city council's right to select street names. And because Chicago, angry Crawford supporters tore down Pulaski Road signs. On the other side, according to John R. Schmidt's excellent Chicago History Today blog, quote, a streetcar conductor who announced Crawford Avenue was slugged by a Polish passenger, end quote. Fortunately, postal workers continued to deliver mail that still had the Crawford address on it, so it wasn't as though the world stopped because of the name change. A few years later, in 1937, some still angry property owners submitted petitions to restore the name to Crawford Avenue, but they did not have enough signatures, and it all died out. Or did it? In 1949, a full 12 years later, business owners along Pulaski filed another round of petitions to have the name restored. The city refused to budge, lawsuits were filed, and in 1952, the Illinois Supreme Court, who by this time must have been super tired of hearing about this, ruled in favor of keeping the name Pulaski. Claire Willis's 2015 entry in the Chicago Kent Law Blog included this, quote, This time, the court told the pro-Crawford camp that naming streets is a legislative function and private citizens don't get to exercise that authority for themselves. 
The court held that the 1937 law allowing 60% of property owners on a street the unbridled authority to change the name of the street clearly vests in a group of private citizens an arbitrary discretion of what the law shall be. Therefore, the law was ruled unconstitutional. The 1948 petition no longer mattered, and the road was officially Pulaski Road nearly 20 years after the name was changed. Let's talk buildings. The continuing outrage over changing the name of the Sears Tower causes me to roll my eyes more than the never put ketchup on a hot dog debate. For the record, the reason you don't put ketchup on a hot dog is if it already has sweet relish on it, you don't need to make it more sweet by adding ketchup. Honestly, if you told me you like ketchup and peanut butter on a hot dog, I'd say good on you. Where was I? Oh yeah, the Sears Tower. Construction for the Sears Tower, originally conceived in 1969, was completed in May of 1973 as a central office space for Sears' then 350,000 employees. It was the world's tallest building until 1998. Now, in 1991, Sears Roebuck and Company sold the building and the following year moved to a new Sears campus in suburban Hoffman Estates. In 2009, when global insurance broker Willis Group Holdings dared rename a building they owned, and again, a building Sears hadn't used in 18 years, Chicagoans flipped out. A 2009 article quoted Jen King, 20 from suburban Bartlett, Illinois, is saying, quote, I think it's terrible. It's been the Sears Tower forever, end quote. Jen King's friend Audrey Joseph, 22, of St. Louis, shook her head and said, it's just wrong. Willis Group's chairman and CEO at the time, Joseph Plumeri, was reportedly incredulous at the negative reaction to his company's decision during a recession to relocate 500 employees to the tower. Quote, Would you rather have an iconic building with nobody in it, which doesn't say a lot about Chicago, or someone with enough faith to take the space? Blumeri asked. He went on to say, quote, The headline should be, A company has decided to invest money in Chicago, and if you miss that headline, you've missed the side of the building by a mile and a half. There were petitions to keep the Sears Tower name intact, and even a guy who started the website, itsthesearstower.com, which is still active. Then-Mayor Richard M. Daly welcomed the new name, quote, There has to be a change in government and business, he said, and you have to realize that change is good, end quote. In 2015, Willis Tower was sold to Blackstone for a reported $1.3 billion. Chicagoans continue to call it the Sears Tower, and I doubt the Willis or Blackstone people ever lost much sleep over that. Clark Street, which many of you know as one of the cross streets at Wrigley Field, where it meets at Addison, was named after another Revolutionary War general named George Rogers Clark. Clark was responsible for capturing territories 
in the Northwest Territories from the British. The British would eventually cede the entire territory to the U.S. One of those areas is now what is known as Illinois. Before it was named Clark Street, it was Green Bay Road, as it allegedly was the route all the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin. The North Shore suburb of Waukegan, about 42 miles from downtown Chicago, was originally called Little Fort, believed to be named after a French trading post based there in the late 1600s. The route to Little Fort followed what is now Lincoln Avenue. When the area became known as Waukegan in 1849, Little Fort Road up north became Waukegan Road. The Chicago section of the route was renamed Lincoln Avenue to honor our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, after his assassination. As late as 1909, there were still sections of the road referred to as Little Fort. Fun fact, Little Fort Road was known as Miller's Mill Road in the suburb of Morton Grove, Illinois, which is between Chicago and what is now Waukegan. Montrose Avenue, the east-west route at 4400 North, was not always called Montrose Avenue. Back in 1836, a man named Conrad Sulzer, his wife Christine, and their son Frederick arrived in Chicago. The following year, Sulzer purchased 100 acres near what would become Clark and Irving Park Road for farming use. Solzer eventually sold some of that land, which would become Graceland Cemetery. The Solzer home was at 4233 North Greenview at Hutchinson. If you're in the area, it is the ginormous house on the northeast corner. Although the street bearing Solzer's name was renamed, a big shiny library bearing Solzer's name was opened in September of 1985 on Little Fort Road. I mean Lincoln Avenue. I have an ad from the Chicago Tribune from March of 1892 offering lots for homes on Roby Street, Lyman, Leland, Lawrence, Giddings, and Jamot? Jamo? It's J-M-O-T streets. Now, many of you may recognize Lawrence, Giddings, and Leland. These are all streets in the North Center, Lincoln Square, and Ravenswood neighborhoods, which are north and west of downtown Chicago. But what about those other streets that do not sound familiar? This goes back to that 1909 street changes thing. Lyman Street was renamed Hoyne after Thomas Hoyne, a lawyer turned politician who was elected mayor of Chicago in 1875, but the election was nullified without Hoyne ever taking office. Seeley Avenue, about a half mile north, and Mead Avenue from 5550 to 5600 north. Jamot Street became Eastwood Avenue from 2000 to 2200 West. And Roby? Roby Street was named after a real estate developer, that's probably generous, named James Roby, who ran a roadhouse around Madison and present-day Damon Avenue in the early 1860s. That's about all that's known about the guy. According to the Rogers Park Westridge Historical Society here in Chicago, Roby Street was at one time called Long John after two-term Chicago Mayor Long John Wentworth. (music) 
In the mid-1800s, a Jesuit priest named Father Arnold Damon established a network of elementary schools that, according to the Holy Family website, served nearly 5,000 students. He founded St. Ignatius College, which became St. Ignatius High School and later Loyola University Chicago, two of Chicago's important educational institutions. As the story of Father Damon goes, in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire started just east of Holy Family Parish. Father Damon, who was in Brooklyn, New York at the time, prayed for the church to be saved, promising that if it was, he would light daily candles in remembrance of Our Lady of Perpetual Health. His prayers were answered when the winds shifted and the church was saved. Holy Family, by the way, one of five public buildings to survive the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. To this day, the parish keeps seven candles, now electric, near the altar to keep Father Damon's promise ongoing. In a not-so-surprising twist, early parishioners at Holy Family included Catherine and Patrick O'Leary, whose small barn at DeCoven and Jefferson Streets was said to have ignited during a lengthy fall drought on October 8, 1871, and sparked the Great Chicago Fire. Once and for all, it is unlikely a cow was involved. In 1927, the Chicago City Council voted to rename Roby to Damon Avenue, and absolutely no one objected. I'm kidding. People lost their minds, apparently preferring to keep the name of the street Roby after a roadhouse owner who barely shows up in the history books, then to change it to honor a man of the cloth who did much for the city. One alderman, the 45th Ward W.H. Feigenbutz, even suggested instead renaming Blue Island Avenue, which passed near Father Damon's church, Damon Avenue, and keeping the Roby name unchanged. The last line in this 1927 article, Opponents of the change declared that Alderman Feigenbutz's proposal would not solve the trouble as Blue Island businessmen would protest. If you are really missing the Roby name and feel like some guy who ran a roadhouse got shortchanged in all of this, there is a hotel at the corner of North Avenue, Milwaukee Avenue, and yes, Damon Avenue, called the Roby. I'd like to point out that that building was once known as Northwest Tower and even the Coyote Building. Other remnants of Roby can be found along Damon Avenue, including a corner block at a building at Damon and Patterson, roughly 3627 North Damon, in North Center that still bears the name Roby. Connecting a few more renaming dots, the church Father Damon helped found was the parish of John Comiskey, an Irish immigrant who served 11 years in the Chicago City Council and was president for one. Comiskey was an active member of the Holy Name Parish and even walked the neighborhood collecting funds for the new parish. He is memorialized in one of the church's 12 round clerestory windows, the oldest stained glass in Chicago, which dates back to 1860. If his surname sounds familiar, his son Charles Comiskey was also a member of the parish and was one of the first students to enroll in St. Ignatius College in 1870. Oh, yeah. He was probably better known as a baseball player, manager, and founder of the Chicago White Sox, who played baseball at Comiskey Park Stadium. 
Comiskey Park was in use from 1910 until 1990 when it was demolished and a new ballpark was built across the street. In 2003, White Sox owners sold the naming rights to U.S. Cellular, a cell phone carrier, for a reported $68 million. Chicago fans? Well, I could read you some of the quotes, but brace yourselves, fans weren't happy. The diehard fans insisted they would continue to call it Kaminsky, or as some say, Kaminsky, although the Kaminsky family hadn't been involved with the White Sox since 1959, when they sold the American League franchise to Bill Vack and Hank Greenberg. In 2016, the White Sox ballpark was again renamed, this time to Guaranteed Rate Field after an insurance company. Quick mention of the other baseball stadium in Chicago, Wrigley Field wasn't always called Wrigley Field. Built in 1914, it was originally called Wiegman Field and was built on the grounds once occupied by a seminary. It became Cubs Park in 1920 and wasn't called Wrigley Field until 1926. The 37-story Palmolive Building was completed in 1929 and was home to the Colgate-Palmolive-Pete Corporation. In 1965, the building was renamed the Playboy Building when Hugh Hefner's editorial and business crew needed office space. In 1990, after Playboy moved its offices and sold the lease, the new owners renamed the building 919 North Michigan Avenue. Eleven years later, the building was sold again, and those owners restored the original name to the property, the Palmolive Building. If you can't picture it, it is easily seen at night when you're driving down what today is called Lakeshore Drive as it shines a beacon out to the lake. Those of you who listened to my 1980 summer of the music venue heard the story of the Rosemont Horizon To refresh your memory, a large indoor music venue opened in May of 1980 near O'Hare Airport called, well, Rosemont Horizon. In June of 1999, the Allstate Insurance Company agreed to contribute a million dollars a year for naming rights for 10 years. That deal eventually extended, and the building is still known as the Allstate Arena. It was Rosemont Horizon for 19 years and has been Allstate Arena for, as of this writing, nearly 22 years. I still call it Rosemont Horizon, not out of any defiance to change, just because I'm old. Financial Place in the Loop was once called Sherman Street. Central Park was renamed Garfield Park in 1869. The Kennedy Expressway, completed in November of 1960, was originally named the Northwest Expressway. It was renamed in 1963 in honor of recently assassinated President John F. Kennedy. Wells Street in the Loop was originally called Fifth Avenue, the northeast cornerstone at Wells and Quincy, just below the Quincy Brown Line stop, still reads South Fifth Avenue. A stretch of Interstate 94 on the south side from I-57 to 170th Street was originally known as the Calumet Expressway. It was renamed the Bishop Ford in 1996 after Bishop Lewis Henry Ford, a street preacher who became a religious and political powerhouse, a man who rose to become the international leader of the Church of God in Christ, the world's largest African-American Pentecostal denomination with more than 6 million members in 59 countries. 
His role on behalf of his community and efforts to preserve Chicago history is too vast to mention here. I have barely scratched the surface of all the name changes of Chicago streets and places and will likely circle back to do another one of these in a future episode. In the meantime, keep your mind open to the idea of changing names. I'm a little biased, but I gotta say, I think it's okay to change the name of something to honor those who mean something to Chicago's history. And if you really, really need to, you can still refer to it as the Sears Tower, Rosemont Horizon, Comiskey Park, and even Lakeshore Drive. for listening to today's episode about renaming streets, places, and other things in Chicago. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on those social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.